Welcome to your franchise radio show. Uh, this is Brian Keane from How to Franchise Simply, and here we run through a range of what I call franchise fundamentals. It's a series of exclusive no-holds-barred interviews. Uh, I speak to a range of people from the franchise sector and the business sector, people who can share with you the nitty-gritty of what's made them successful, and in many cases, as today, what can help make you successful, uh, and how to avoid some of the traps that so many people unwittingly fall for in business and particularly in franchising. Um, so today, I'm, I'm actually thrilled. It's taking me a while to get Warren Black here, but Warren is one of those people who I wouldn't say is elusive. For his clients, he's certainly available. But he's a well-traveled man. He's always on the go. And today's title is Minimizing Your Tax and Protecting Your Assets. And I'll sort of summarize that by saying is how you can use that to help you reach your goals quicker and simpler. Um, Warren's a very multi-qualified individual, he's a qualified accountant and lawyer, he, he hails from Perth in Western Australia, um, and those who've spoken to me will know my passion for Perth, having spent 20 years there, he travels internationally as a speaker, um, he's one of those guys, if you meet Warren or you see him, you'll recognise straight away, he's very relaxed, uh, but he's quirky, he's out of the box, and I love it, because not only is he like that, when you're talking to him, um, he's passionate and he's like that about the amazing business that he runs there, specializing in tax and asset protection uh, and critically in investment strategies. He's been doing this for a quarter of a century. And what I love is he's worked on the inside. He spent 10 years with the ATO. So, um, and I'll quote his, his um, little uh, comment here. He helps his clients slash their tax 100% legally and keep the gold-digging parasites from their hard-earned wealth so that creditors and governments will not reap where they have not sown. Lovely. We're looking at equity here, and uh, with all that in mind, um, I'd like to introduce you to Warren. Warren, good morning. Good morning, Brian. That's a nice intro. How's things? Uh, excellent. Thank you very much indeed. And I've got, I've got some great questions for you here, I hope, today. So we'll run through these and going to touch on a few things. I might add that I, I've seen Warren a number of times, um, around the country at various events. He's spoken at numerous events. He's he shared the stage with Richard Branson and Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, with the, the Universal, Universal Stars. He's been involved with the Tax Institute. And in the US, he's traveled widely giving presentations as well as internationally and even on cruise ships. So let's get into it. Uh, what I'd like to do, is there anything you'd like to add to my little summary there, Warren? No, you summarise it pretty well, Brian. I think probably the only thing I'd, I'd mention is with my international, I do a lot of international um, asset protection and tax and structuring for, for companies as well. So, yeah, just stuff that's, that's basically, yeah, pretty, like you said, pretty widely travelled. I like to keep my life interesting. <laughs> um, and Warren's business is called Wealth Safe. So you can't keep it more simple than that. It says it in a nutshell. So the a, a leading question I'll ask you with, because we all love bean counters, don't we, is aren't all accountants the same? So what makes you any different to anybody else? Look, it's a great question, Brian, and to be honest, um, how, I, how I tell clients and people is like this. I say, if you want to get your normal tax return done, like just get a basic you know, salary and wage earner return done, and you came to me or went down to your local accountant, your local accountant would probably run rings around me because I don't do that. So um, by contrast, if you're wanting asset protection or high-level advice, I'm the person to come to. And the reason why is think of it like GPs and specialists. Like if you've got a, a general sickness, you go to a GP. 
The GPs are generally more qualified on a range of things compared to, say, specialists, which are more niched. However, if, they, let's say, a person's got a very bad, like, nerve problem, they'll refer them to a neurologist, or if they've got arthritis, they might go to a rheumatologist. So they, they niche in the medical profession have got that one now pretty well, I think, whereas by contrast, accountants in the financial industry, not so much, and we tend to compete. When really, um, accountants generally, a lot of accountants out there are good at what they do. They do good bookkeeping. They do your tax returns. They do a perfectly great job. However, when it comes to asset protection or high-level structuring, that's something that's a completely different skill because you're dealing with stuff you're not taught at university, something you're not taught in most accounting firms if you do an apprenticeship. It's something that's very, very specialised. So the main thing where I'm different is, yeah, I don't do tax returns as such. I don't sit down and do all the basic stuff. I'm all people who come to say, look, my business, my personal assets, my wealth, I really want to protect it. How am I going to do this? And I then go right and I make sure your assets remain safe, a bit like insurance, getting your car insured. I insure your wealth as well as make sure you don't pay any more tax at a higher level when you have to. Okay. Now, I deal with emerging franchise groups, so a lot of my clients um, are the smaller to medium-sized businesses. It doesn't preclude larger ones, but um, the question I, I would pose for them, because I'm their sort of devil's advocate, is in their case with a small to medium-sized business, do they yet need to worry about asset protection? Well, my short answer is yes, because I put it this way. Let's just say that you're a, um, like if you've got a car, like do you have a car, Brian? Absolutely. <laughs> do you have car insurance? That's it, absolutely, yep, I do. Yep, you do. And you have car insurance not because you're expecting to crash your car, but you're concerned about the absolute um, consequences if you crash your car without insurance. So in other words, no one expects to crash their car, but if you do crash your car, the consequences are awful. I mean, you might have purchased a vehicle on a higher purchase or on a lease, which you're still paying payments, and the car crashes, you've still got to pay it. Hence, that's why most leasing or higher purchase companies, they all require you to have insurance. Likewise, let's just say that you do get sued in your business and you lose and lose everything. Most people, that would be a catastrophic result. And when I've done surveys or, you know, questions at seminars, I pretty much every hand will go up and I ask who would have a major impact on their life if they lost everything. And in most cases, many relationships actually end and go to the family court purely because of our money issues or marriage break, business breakups. So a one lawsuit or one government giving you something unfair could kill you. And one thing I tell people especially, it's nothing to do with whether you're doing the right thing or not, Brian, because years ago, I can remember in my case, I was sued for not getting proper family law advice to a client who basically came to me for, for tax planning advice around their assets and I specifically put in the letter that I wasn't a family lawyer and didn't give family law advice and they need to see a family lawyer. So I was quite curious as to why she was suing me. And when we were sitting in the court conference, I asked her, why are you, why are you suing me? I mean, I put this thing in the letter and she goes, I don't take it personally. She said, you're perfectly nice and did a good job on the tax side, but she goes, I have a very sick daughter, and she goes, I can't sue my family lawyer because I'm out of time, so I'm suing you, and I know you've got insurance. I hope you don't take it personally. <laughs> and that's absolutely honest to God, but that actually happened to me. And yeah. I have many other stories where people say that. So in a franchise business, I had another client actually in something similar to that over in Eastern States, a franchise business, where 
they got one of their family members involved in the franchise, and because it was a family member who had trying to help out, they didn't get quite the normal paperwork they should have. The family member, of course, didn't follow the franchise system at all, which you would understand perfectly well. They just didn't follow it because whereas all the other franchise owners didn't make money, this family member lost a fortune and then sued their, um, you know, sued the, the franchise owner for basically not giving them proper advice and basically claiming they made a loan, not an investment. And although basically it was a 50-50, you know, it was a best 50-50 case, and if anything, the franchise owner would probably have won, he was so stressed about the whole thing because his asset protection was so terrible that he ended up settling for, you know, about a million dollars or something. And, and now this is the kind of thing that happened. So, yes, you can do it. And it's really not expensive and relatively simple just to have separate entities and separate protection put in place. Right, okay. I think that underlies that. Um, um, we, I suppose you've, you've, my next question was really, and you've touched, touched that really, the fact that we're at risk in all events. I think we all see out there the, the prevalence of claims um, a, a variety of types, uh, what we used to call, I suppose, laughing in the ambulance chasers, but there's all sorts of people out there after public liability claims and so on. So, okay, that's pretty clear. So um, if, if we look at it from a, a business point of view, you know, um, people that come to me, I recommend they protect their trademarks and they register their business names and maybe do it offshore if they think they may expand the business. From your point of view, how should somebody protect their assets? Sure. Well, good question, Brian. Um, one thing I'll quickly mention leading into that, which is on the whole question of likelihood of being sued, according to some statistics I read, and it's, I find this hard to believe too, but apparently it's, it is the case, the average business owner gets sued three, three times in their lifetime in the eastern states. Now, that's, now when they say sued, it doesn't mean end up in court because most lawsuits don't go to court. They settle out of court but just get the threat of lawsuits. And I can tell you myself, you know, I've already had, I've had a couple in my lifetime where basically none of them, none of them have gone to court. And both situations that those happened, happened with, um, two I'm particularly thinking of, was, was basically, yeah, they, they went ahead and it was more about the fact they knew I had insurance. And hmm. most business owners, if you get some kind of threat saying that if you don't pay up and they'll take you to court, that effectively is a lawsuit. But it's very, very common. And, in terms of protecting it, really the best way to do it is I say, look at what McDonald's do, or look at what Google do, or look at what Apple do. So look at the companies that have got multi-million dollar tax advisors and, and asset protection advisors and ask, what are they doing? Well, McDonald's, I just say to, to business owners, okay, and it's funny, I use McDonald's as an example, but if your clients, you know, clients are franchise owners, it's very relevant. So with McDonald's, let's say that you sued McDonald's um, in Australia right now, would you have any chance of having a crack at the IP and getting ownership? The answer is obviously not. I mean, even if you lived in the US, where McDonald's basically came from, McDonald's have got the IP owned somewhere in Netherlands, my understanding. So their IP is owned over in Netherlands. They're, they're managed over somewhere else. Google's, for example, their US headquarters, obviously, but then they have their um, island is where they have they're set up to run their... Um, their management, many IP and royalties owned through a mixture of Bermuda and Ireland. So very simply what they do is they keep things in separate jurisdictions or even if not going that far as an Australian business owner, you don't need to go that far, but just having a separate entity. So let's say, for example, I'll keep it really simple. Like Think of an entity like a person. So a bit like you're a separate person from me. So if you, Brian, own a house and I, and I get sued, your house is not at risk, not unless you've basically got some agreement giving me the house. But 
your house is on at risk because you're separate to me. Likewise, as a, as a franchise owner, you want to have one structure that owns your uh, franchise trademarks, your IP, your client lists, whatever else. Then you have, then you have another structure, for example, that owns your um, digital management of your franchises. And then from there, you have another structure that actually runs the franchise and takes the cash day by day. So that's a simple example to give you, and obviously it depends on each person's circumstances, but that separates each part of the process and means good luck to anyone trying to sue you. Right, okay, so you're really isolating it in the, in the true sense of the word. Um, is that an expensive exercise? Uh, it depends on what you call expensive. Like, I, I say, let's say you've got a net worth of, I'll just make up a figure, a million dollars. Let's say you've got that. Is $10,000 expensive? Is 1% of your net worth expensive to protect it? I say, absolutely not. It's not really as bad as people think because it's, it's a one-off cost generally once you've got to set up apart from some ongoing maintenance annual costs, which are not really, no, which, which are not terrible at all, it's not as expensive as people think. And even in any event, on some of the more expensive asset protection, which can happen if you've already got a whole lot of things done in your own name or you've got tax involved, then I say it's more expensive not to get it right because if you get sued and your whole million dollars net worth is at risk, is it worth it? And the sad thing is most people... From my experience, many of my clients who come to me are people who've already had the threat of a lawsuit and they suddenly realise the real impact of it because they realise that, oh my gosh, I'm about to lose my assets. Their wife or husband's going off their face saying, you can't do this to the kids and they're having marital problems at home. So then, of course, they see me, what can I do? And I said, well, you're being sued now. It's much harder now because anything that we do is likely to be seen as trying to evade creditors. And in specific um, laws that where you try to evade creditors, a lot of the protection things can be undone. So I say now it's pretty difficult to really do anything much to help you, not without extraordinary cost and with great risk. So the time to do it is is really, ironically, is now. It's, it's a bit like with a bank. The time to basically get a bank loan is when you don't need one, not when you need one, <laughs> because banks will give you loans to people who don't need one. And likewise, the time to protect your assets is when you don't need, is when you really, when everything's good. Because at that point in time, there'll be no, there'll be minimal tax consequences if you're done properly, and if you're done legally. And the best, the even better time to do it is before you set anything up, because then the costs are incredibly low. So ironically, when you're first starting out, your costs are incredibly low. But that's the time when people don't, most don't do it. Once you're underway and running a business or got assets in your own name, it does get more expensive, and relatively speaking, compared to that. But even so, still compared to the big picture, it's not expensive at all. Right. Okay. So it's a bit like my car insurance. You know, it's 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 peace of mind, um, not just over you know what may be incurred exactly. with an accident, but the outcomes and the stress and everything else and the uncertainty and all those things that uh, that leave you vulnerable with with what you've. I mean, a business is much more than a car. For most business owners, it's their asset. It's their super. It's what they see as their is their exit strategy down the track when they choose to retire and so absolutely. forth? Absolutely, absolutely. If they don't get that protected adequately, goodness me, they're going to—they got twenty or thirty years beyond their working career when they're going to be living a very, very humble life on the Centrelink oh. pension of thirty grand right. a year for a couple or something. Exactly, Brian. In fact, one thing I'll mention to you, exactly on point. I can remember about ten years ago, actually, I had a client come to see me. Who was actually, um, who'd done exactly that, but spent 30 years preparing for their retirement. They were, they were a financial planner himself. They built about $3 million of assets, which 10 years ago is, you know, certainly not a small mm. sum. Mm. They were, 
They'd worked really hard to get there, he and his wife. And one of the things he'd done was he'd recommended clients go into a particular overseas investment. And the overseas investment was done to, um, to basically, because it was making better returns than Australian investment. And for, ten, for many, many years, it was making good returns. And then the whole thing went south. Now, a group of his clients are very unhappy because they lost all their money and decided to, they, were, they were going to sue him in a class action. The thing was, he came to see me. The reason he was most stressed was, one, his wife was, of course, beside herself and, all, and just like, you know, they could just see it was a complete mess from it all because they're in their 50s about to retire. The other thing is, because of the fact that he recommended this overseas investment that wasn't on the approved investments list by his um, planning um, group, the, the PI insurer was telling him they weren't going to cover him. So he got sued, he wasn't going to be covered, and his asset protection was very, very weak. So whereas he thought his insurance would cover him, his insurance did not cover him because of that little technicality. And what I always say to people, for example, is did you, do you, have you read your insurance policy from cover to cover? And virtually no hands ever go up. I think one or two hands in history have ever gone up. So I say, you've got no idea, and you're just hoping they pay. So, yeah, it's getting it wrong. It's one of these things I say, I know it's, it can be a pain in the ass. I know... It's a bit like getting a will, not something you want to face, but the consequence is so catastrophic as a business owner, it's something that every business owner must face for their peace of mind and really think through the consequences of if they are about to lose their assets, what it means to them. Yes, yes. Okay, I think we've, we've made that point and there's no doubt about it. There's no going back. So um, now looking forward to the next bit, it's, it's, this is always top of mind. Every few years it comes up as a big issue, you know, in, in the... In the 70s, it was the bottom of the, har- bottom of the harbour scheme and John Howard brought in that retrospective taxation, which caught a lot of people out. Uh, hands go up here, um, me included. Um, and, and currently, of course, there's a lot of pressure and this will continue from time to time with the int- multinationals, like you mentioned, with Google and these sorts of people and Kerry Packer going back a while ago with, with all those issues a number of years back. And you're in that area where you consider almost to be a bad citizen in some respects, um, if you use that term tax minimization. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's minimization, there's evasion, two very different things. Can you, can you go into that little bit and just tell us how you can, what, what you can do actually effectively as a, as a, as a good citizen, um, respecting the laws to protect your assets and minimize your tax? Look, yeah, again, a good question because the government gives so much about this fair share and that kind of stuff. And I love what Kerry Packer said in 1991 at the print media inquiry when journalists were absolutely hammering him and claiming about whether he was a good Australian or anything like that. And he just basically said, look, he said, I'm not into any kind of tax evasion or tax avoidance in any way, shape or form. He said, however, I am into making sure I don't pay any more tax than I legally have to. And he goes, anyone who doesn't, he'd say their head red because he said, the fact is you're not spending it that well, but I have any interest in donating any extra money to you. And, of course, people always laugh and resonate with that comment, and I certainly do. I mean, the the actual fact is a lot of facts I could go into, which I won't, but when you actually look at tax, tax revenues and what's going on and the appalling ways it's managed, I think that, yes, that you certainly don't want to be paying any more tax than you legally have to. And, of course... One of the big things the government have tried to push in the media, and again, I think I, I believe it's a lot of brainwashing personally, but they come out and say, look, you know, you're putting all this money out there. By doing this, you're making, by, by not paying a fair share of tax, we're going to put the burden more on others, that kind of thing. I say, well, let's, let's look at the facts. Let's just say that 
every single Australian said, oh, no, we're going to pay extra tax right now and did that, would the government suddenly drop, then drop the tax rates thinking, great, now that we're getting more money from you? Heavens no. I mean, the GST was brought in with great promises that stamp duty was going to be dropped and got rid of and all kinds of stuff. And, of course, stamp duty stayed alive and well. Income tax hardly moved at all. So the fact is, my belief is it's just basically government's doing that. And I think the short answer is, is there's plenty of ways to legally minimise your tax. I always stress doing that. And there's still plenty of good ways to do it. The multinationals do it. Um, individuals can definitely do it. So, yeah, look, being a good citizen to me means you pay your taxes, you make sure you stick within the law, you don't break the law, you don't get involved in dodgy tax planning schemes, you don't go and get involved in stuff that's obviously borderline, you, you stay within the law, but you'd be amazed how much you can actually minimise your tax when you stay within the law, to give me an example. And with asset protection, I always say on that one, on the moral side, because some people say, well, you know, shouldn't I just pay my debts? I said, well, of course you should. I said, let's just say that, for example, Brian, you know, that I owed you some money, like, and you trusted me and lent me a hundred grand, and then I turned around and said, ha ha, I'm well protected, I'm not paying you. Um, I can, you know, I think we can both be sure that you would not be happy at me on a moral level if nothing else. So I say asset protection is not about avoiding moral responsibility. It's you decide what's moral and what's immoral. So you have the power of choice, if that all makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I like, thank you for that clarity. Now, things have changed over the years. When I arrived in Australia in the mid-70s, I had a trust account and everything managed over in Hong Kong because I had assets overseas, blah, 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 blah. And now over time, I was advised that the benefits of that were eroding. Um, and in fact, some accountants I've heard will say these days that things like family trust and so forth are a waste of time. What's your view on that? Okay. Um, look, I think family trusts are here to stay and very unlikely to have any major changes. Um, you'll never say impossible. And the main reason is I can remember in 1999 when the Ralph Review came out and they were absolutely talking about they were going to do all kinds of things and they were going to change family trust tax on my companies and get rid of all the tax benefits. Never happened. And, of course, why did it not happen? I said very simple. Nearly all the politicians and the farmers and the Catholic Church um, people have family trusts, so the biggest constituent groups have them. So you touch family trust, you're touching a sacred icon. So although there has been tinkering with it, um, and although there have been some you know, ways that some of the benefits have been limited, still family trust today are by far the best way of, I find, of minimising tax. And I know, my, I know that many of my clients legally save a lot of tax every year, in many cases up to 50 60% or more of what they would pay otherwise just by using family trust. So, yes, they certainly, I still reckon, because the main reason is the ability to income split. Family trust, you can income split, provided you meet certain requirements. So, uh, as well as the fact that with capital gains tax, when you're selling businesses and things like that, you can get some massive, massive tax savings when you're selling a business. And I'm talking about the difference between, like, one client I was involved with selling a million-dollar business, who the difference between paying as much as $450,000 or so in tax compared to paying something between zero to $100,000 just by knowing how to use it to eat, to trust and what's called small business concessions. So, no, how many trust just kick ass, excuse the word, French? No, that's right, uh, multilingual, we all are these days. So, that's, um, okay, so really this comes back to that point we were touching on earlier, setting it up when you get started so that your entities 
within your franchise or your other business interests or, or, or investments are managed and appropriately have got the appropriate flexibility through the trust process rather than you trying to unscramble a complicated jigsaw and restructure it when you are up there and you've got a significant business that's going 100 miles an hour and making lots of money and then presumably also vulnerable exactly. to paying lots of tax. Mm. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. That adds a lot of clarity again. So um, I'll give you a case study um, just, to, just to pitch this one because yep. I remember before capital gains was applied to small business, I was buying and selling businesses in the 70s as a, or in the 80s as a trader. I would buy a business. I'd own it for six or 12 months. Yep. I'd make a capital gain, I'd sell it, and then bang. I can't remember the year it happened, but maybe it was Bob Hawke's or Fraser's time, I can't remember, but the poor colours came down and suddenly whack. I was losing a vast amount in capital gains tax, and that certainly stopped me with what was my income-generating um, vehicle, I suppose. And so mm. I'm very conscious of the fact that it's something that we don't think about unless we're regularly buying and selling, but um, it happens as well with... You know, with your private assets as well. So, this particular example I'm thinking of here was a house. Someone, someone, someone owns a house, yes. and they live in it. They perhaps want to retire up the coast. They've got the assets to buy an apartment, or they spend time away from it. They want to rent it. Um, what's the impact on this as far as capital gains, if any, Warren? Just trying to buy me again, Brian. It's cut out. So what was well, the part about okay. the house? Well, they, they bought a house in their own names and they lived in it. And then subsequent to that, they wanted to rent yep. it out. Um, what's the capital gains yep. issues as far as that's concerned? Ah, oh, yes. Okay. Well, okay, yes. So they got a house. And if you live in the house, of course, you get a family tax um, or family what's called principal residence exemption. If, however, you don't do that, and let's just say rather than renting it out, or so you go ahead and rent out the house, then at that point in time it now becomes capital gains tax. So what has happened at that time is you've got to go ahead and um, get a valuation at the time. So let's just say that in 2000 you buy the house for $100,000, let's say. Then 2010 it's gone up to $250,000, and by that time you decide to rent the house out. If you rent the house out, and let's, from that point on, you then pay you the house, which would be two fifty thousand at the time, and any capital gain from that point on, you are now taxable on. Can that be avoided? Well, let's just say, for example, that you rent the house out, but you don't actually live in the house, but you go and rent it out. You go and live in a rental property. You can elect to keep a house as a principal residence for up to six years. So there may well be some ways you can still plan around it. But generally, yes, if someone decides to rent the house out, you will be liable for capital gains tax. But like I said, there may be ways around that, depending on the situation. So again, it's something a lot of people will be faced with as they perhaps, um, as they maybe move as their business grows or they look at winding back and retiring, going to spend some time in another, another dwelling near the grandchildren, that sort of thing. Um, so these are things, again, you need to look at strategically before you put pen to paper. Correct, yes. Okay, excellent. Okay, thanks very much. Now, um, maybe some little pots of gold you can share with us here uh, with regards to some basic tips about tax deductions, tax savings, tax minimisation that uh, we perhaps all, all, all understand. Some of it gets quite complicated, but have you got a few little gems you can share with us? Sure. Look, one of my favourite things is... Um, 
I, I just do three tax deduction tips which I share with people in some of my seminars and webinars which always like, wow, I actually have people messaging. I can't believe it. No one's ever told me that. Just three ones that, all, that, that many business owners or pay as you go can do. The first one is, and you'll love this one, Brian. Do you ever, as a business owner, do you ever work past six o'clock at night? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, announcer, the announcer laughs. Uh, positive. Yes, I do indeed. <laughs> Yes, I always say, is that a trick question, mate? <laughs> um, but yes, okay. But it, if you're a business owner and work after six at night, depending, I stress, depending on you know certain things around your industry and award and that kind of stuff, um, you may be able to claim your dinner as a tax deduction for what's called overtime meal allowance. So you may be able to actually, if you work past six o'clock at night and you have your contracts and that structured correctly as a uh, employing yourself, you can claim overtime meal allowance which means you can basically claim your dinner if you work up to six at night. Now, I'd say that, without exaggerating, four out of five business owners go, no, no one ever told me that. And I'm saying, exactly, that's one example. Another example, let's just say, as a business owner, you travel internationally, Brian. So let's just say, and I'm sure you've done that as a franchise you know, guy, you, you might, let's say you get invited to go to America to speak for the National Franchise um, Association in Vegas. So you go, oh, great. So you turn up to Vegas and you speak, and it's a three-day conference, and you're there. And then after that, you think, what the heck? I'm going to go and hang out on the pokies, and then I'm going to go and travel around and you know have a look at California, and why not? Let's just go and have a look at a few other places. So you end up spending four days doing your work stuff and six days traveling around. So 40% of your time is private, 60% of your oh, – sorry, 40% is business, 60% is private. So um, the question is – what what portion of your trip can you claim? Now, most accountants would say, well, you've got to apportion it. So 40% goes to your business, 60% goes to your private. And so they did it with everything. There is a court case that has said that it's provided the main purpose you're going for business, and it's not by percentage, but it's the main reason you were going over there in the first place, So, which was obviously to do the conference. You never would have gone over there but for that. Then you can claim 100% of your air flight as a tax deduction. 100%, not 40%, 100%. So that's not, no, not your accommodation and food because people get excited and go, oh, great, can I do it with my accommodation and food? I said, oh, no, but you can do it with your air flight. Why have I done air flight? Goodness knows, it's the beauties of tax law and things <laughs> like and no one can claim sunglasses. It's nuts, you know, no one can claim sunglasses, but for some reason truck drivers can, um, which is one of my favourites. Why on earth truck drivers can claim that no one else can I have no idea, but the courts have said that. Um, one of my favourite ones of where you can't claim it, this is an aside before going to my third tax tip, is home to work expenses. In 1952, the High Court held you can't claim them except in very limited situation. And their reasoning was that basically, you know, you're travelling, you're on your way to work, you're not actually there yet, so it's too soon. You haven't actually earned the income yet, so therefore it doesn't relate to your income. Now, how on earth you could come up with that logic, I don't know, but that's what the law says. Even though, for me, travelling from home to work is the most obvious situation where you wouldn't be doing it, but for um, the fact that you've got a job. So, but you, so you've got to understand how the case law works. The third one is motor vehicle expenses. So, travelling for car for your work or whatever. Let's just say, for example, that you're um, that you've got to work. You're, you're, let's say you just got a job as sales rep. You drive into your office, then from there you travel out to client sites. 
So the question is, can you claim it? Well, you can because you're travelling on work. So you think, oh, great, I've got to keep all your receipts. Well, not necessarily. Um, you may, there's, there's a few different ways you can claim your car expenses. One involves keeping all your receipts, keeping a logbook, etc. However, there's another one, which if you travel less than 5,000 k's for business, or let's just, so let's just say you travel 80 k's a week on average, which is 4,200 a year, or let's say 4,000 a year, the ATO will give you a cents per kilometre rate between 70 to 80 cents per kilometre, depending on your car, which you can claim without keeping any receipts, and the only justification is just saying, hey, I need 80 kilometres a week for my business, and show that it makes sense. So effectively, you get a $3,200 tax deduction or whatever it is, without in any way having to keep receipts. And not just that, if you travel over 5,000 k's, you can claim 12.5% of the cost of the car, up to $60,000 car cost. So let's just say your car costs 50 grand or so, that's about $6,000, you can claim it's a tax deduction, no receipts. So that's one of my favourites, because I know of myself, I don't travel more than, I travel about 6,000 k's, I think, with my a year on business that works out. I can't be bothered keeping logbooks and all my receipts, I just pay on a 12.5% car, 100% legal, no receipts. So these three of my favourites, just, just to give you a bit of an entree appetizer. Absolutely. I love that one. And, uh, yeah, the car one, I say, when I learned of that one, uh, gee, the, the whole hassle of filling in logbooks and keeping receipts, geez, for the birds. Absolutely. Well, thank you. They, those are eye-openers in themselves. So that's opening the box, really. There's Pandora's box there, you can see, with Warren. He's... Uh, He's, he's got the ability to quote things at random, so um, no, no doubt you fire your questions at him. There's uh, no question he can handle those as well. So um, effectively then, um, I've reached the end of my little interrogation, Warren. <laughs> I don't think there's anything you want to add, but uh-huh. <laughs> you've given us a really good and what I like, it's nice and concise. So um, we've got everything in, in a nutshell. I'd have to say that there's some key elements that came out there that, that struck me was, um, you know, number one, there's not a better time to make provision for restricting your, your liabilities and, and getting tax optimization than when you're first starting. Um, and then the fact that during their business career, the average Eastern States business owner is sued three times. Now that's, that's scary. It means it's going to happen to you. It's a bit like driving a car. You can't help it. Somebody will run up your back end, you know. Um, and and do what the big boys do yeah. in your scale for what you do. Um, the other thing I noticed was the, the the matter of having those different entities. So make sure you got your intellectual property isolated from the operational side of the business, um, and then again from your sort of holding your holding operation as well. That keeps those entities isolated and with a moat dug around them effectively, I guess. Um, and uh, uh, an interesting look. Some of those little quirks in the tax system, that's the sort of thing that none of them, are, most of them aren't logical, but they're there. So, um, hey, you don't try and rhyme or reason why, just say that's there, I can do it. So the, the travel one particularly, no wonder, you know, the indulgence in business class becomes quite apparent. <laughs> that's why. So, um, and the income splitting opportunities with family trust, I think. The other thing to make sure you're prepared of, you know, I, I, I'm always hammering um, the aspect about exit strategies because that's where franchising is so powerful. But plan it before you get too yeah. far down the track because otherwise you're going to get hit. And, uh, it's, you know, it's tragic to think you've worked 10, 20, 30 years building a business. You come to sell it and you see it all disappear like the person you quoted there potentially all disappear in one payment off to the tax department 
when you could have paid a fraction. And that's, that's the difference between you being able to afford overseas holidays and take the, pay the, you know, the kids for some decent presents and a bit of schooling and not being able to afford it. So these are big lifestyle issues going down the track. So, um, that's fantastic. Um, really appreciate that. So I, I'd like to just, um, offer to Warren. He's kindly said he's, he'd, he'd really be uh, enthusiastic about, um, offering to the people listening um, to this or, or reading the transcription that they can access WealthSafe to get some, um, some, some opinions and so forth. So could you explain what you actually had in mind there, please, Warren? And this is something that uh, I'll get details of this put into my emails with sure. the website and so on. Absolutely. And I'll just add one quick thing in the end to what you said, Brian, before I move into that. Um, mm. Look, I just say to people, look, there's still plenty of ways to minimally legal, you know, legally minimise your tax and also protect your assets. And you know, things like superannuation, family trusts, for example, are ways you can, you ways you can do it. And something that everyone's got to get onto because the years go by pretty quickly. And the fact is, there's still plenty of ways you can do it legally right now. And I say, look, the government may always shut certain loopholes down, <clears throat> but never. The time, the time to do it, especially with, with deductions, and I gave you three tips, but believe me, there's, there's hundreds more I can give you on that, on, on tax deductions, on family trusts, on all that kind of stuff, and 100% legally how you can do it. So look, in terms of, um, offer, look, what, yeah, what you can, what I can do for you is if you want to get a second opinion on your structures or on your situation and ensure you're not paying too much tax or that your assets are, are safe, if you've got any holes, what you should do is go to our website, www.wealthsafe.com.au, and Wealthsafe, of course, is just wealth, as in W-E-A-L-T-H, safe, S-A-F for Fred, E for Edward, so wealthsafe.com.au. Just as an aside, I call it that, Brian, because um, as I see it, it covers both things of what we do just by the name alone. We help make your wealth safe, and we help you, we help you build safe wealth. So it covers off both things into one pit. So... So go, so basically go to that site and what you can get is if you put your name and details in, you'll get a tightly, you'll get access to my, my 90 page book which covers the, what's called the tax secrets of the rich and wealthy where I go through and I do a lot more detail of companies, trusts and how they all work and teach about asset protection, tax minimization, the stuff I've spoken to in more depth. Um, I also, you, by putting your name in you can get a free review so one of my staff can actually go ahead and personally go over your situation, have a look and say, great, I can I can help you and show you basically your holes. So we'll go through, fill out your holes, um, say these are the um, holes you've got in your wealth right now, these are where your risk of being sued, these are where your tax vulnerabilities lie and then give you a series of recommendations, no obligation, no strings attached which you can either take away your accountant or you can obviously do something with us. Also, Anyone who's listening to this, put down particularly when you put the name in, in further notes that you come from Brian Keane, come from the Brian Keys from this podcast, and we'll also give you a bonus gift, which is a book which I normally only give to clients who purchased our structures, which is a book which I've personally written on, on how to use family trusts and introduction to family trusts and how they all work. Um, so I, I personally give you a free, so you'll get a free gift to that. So I mean, it normally costs basically $49. So I just sell it for $49, all people get it as part of the structures. So, yeah, in summary, just put your name in here in www.wealthstate.com.au. 
put your name and email. You'll get a cop free copy of this book, Tightly Held Secrets of, Tech of the Rich and Wealthy. You can get a free review and also putting down Brian Keane podcast and you'll get a bonus gift of my trust. And one final thing I'll mention here is if you go to a section called Wealth Building Resources on the site, so you'll see a link, Wealth Building, and click on Resources, you'll see Wealth Building and then Resources and then Free Education Webinars. Feel free to tick on our, click on our Free Education Webinars because I have some fairly lengthy webinars where I teach on asset protection and tax minimization in far more detail than what I've spoken today. We're perfectly free. Excellent. So plenty of stuff to go away if you're serious about doing something about it. Absolutely, that's fantastic. You can't look for a better, a better combination of all of that. So, look, that's that's brilliant. I hope we've addressed everyone's questions. If anyone has other questions there, and uh, you know, do write them down. Go to the website, get in touch with Warren. I'm sure him and his team would love to address them for you. Um, I I hope you've enjoyed this teleconference as much as I have, um, and that uh, Warren's managed to say to answer the, the questions you may have had. Um, if you have other, other questions, as I say, you get back in touch with Warren or with myself. Um, so what I'll do is just wrap up and uh, give, give Warren the opportunity of saying goodbye. So if you'd just like to close off there, Warren. Okay, great. Thanks very much, Brian. Great to talk to you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Warren. And we'll, we'll speak to you uh, all again when we run our next Franchise Fundamental Franchise Radio Show 76.0. Thank you very much indeed, and goodbye. Welcome to the Franchise Radio.